Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 88, Fujifilm X100V. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the podcast, Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Here on the podcast, we talk about all things video and photography, and we talk about things such as storyboarding, script writing, how to price your work. We talk about contracts. We interview people. We do all kinds of things on this podcast. We also have a Facebook group called Filming with Josh, so be sure to go to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh in the search bar, and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is a private group where you can come and ask questions, post videos and photographs, ask for feedback, and continue the conversations that we have from the podcast. So, Filming with Josh on Facebook. Be sure to go and join the group. And again, if you're new to the podcast, thanks for listening today. If you are not new to the podcast, you probably know that it has been well over a month since I have released an episode, and I want to talk briefly about why that is before we jump into today's podcast topic. So anybody who follows me online or who knows me personally knows that we have been pregnant with our second kid. Um, We had our first son, Wilder, uh, 20 months ago. And we have been pregnant with our daughter, Elena River, um, for a while now. And she actually was due tomorrow, uh, July 13th. I'm recording this podcast on July 12th. But she was due tomorrow, but she came a month early. (laughs) Um, I was at a a live stream event that my company was... um, was streaming. We were doing all the in-house audio, um, as well as all of the live streaming, all the camera work, all of the external audio for the live streaming, all of that. Uh, so I had hired a, a small crew to help me with that project. It was a uh, a three-day live stream with one day of setup and testing. And so we had already completed the setup day, and we were in the middle of streaming the first day of this live stream event a month ago tomorrow when my wife was at the doctor and she called me and said, hey, I think we might be having a baby today. And I was like, oh, really? That's great timing. (laughs) Um, Obviously, a lot of things start going through your head. I mean, one, I have to figure out how the heck am I going to navigate this because I was in the middle of this live stream event. You know, I'm I'm the one running the live stream. I'm the one doing the camera switching, monitoring the stream online. I mean, we had I had an audio guy there, and I had a a camera operator there, but I was the one running the show. And I, you know, I, I had to figure out like what to do. So I had um, contacted my church where I volunteer and do um, live streaming on Sundays, and I was like, Hey, do you have someone who can run an ATEM Mini Pro ISO that? might be available to fill in for me. And they were able to find someone for me. Uh, my friend Scott, who um, does live stream live streaming with me oftentimes at church on Sundays, he was available. So he filled in, came and kind of watched over my shoulder as, uh, as I showed him what to do. And then I left and I got to the hospital and within like 45 minutes of me getting there, I we had a baby. But here's why it's been a while. So a few things. One, my wife had preeclampsia. If you don't know what that is, preeclampsia is a um, it is an 
an illness that a woman can get when they're pregnant, which causes you to have really high blood pressure. Some women have it worse than others, and it can be life-threatening. Uh, my wife developed a pretty bad case of uh, preeclampsia, and she had really high blood pressure. And we, we became aware of it about a month before um, Elena was born. And so we knew that my wife had preeclampsia and we had been going to the doctor. She'd been going to the doctor twice a week to have the baby monitored and to have her blood pressure checked because it can be very dangerous for both the mom and the baby. Um, and we also knew because of this that our baby was small, which we kind of had already, before we found out my wife had preeclampsia, we already kind of knew the baby was small because this is our second child, our second pregnancy, and my wife was very small. She wasn't showing all that much. So we knew that the baby was small, um, but when we found out that she had preeclampsia, we at that point pretty much knew why the baby was small. So she had been going to the doctor, getting the baby checked, trying to monitor the growth. And uh, the day that I was on at this live stream event, my when, when my wife went to the doctor, they're like, man, your, your baby just isn't growing much and your blood pressure's high. They detected a dip in heart rate on the heart rate monitor uh, where they were uh, monitoring the baby's heart rate. And they're like, look, it's just not safe for you or the baby for you to be pregnant anymore. So we need to have this child now. Um, so I that's whenever I got the call and flew to the hospital and um, my wife had to have an emergency C-section, which was not what we wanted. Uh, we wanted a more natural birth, which is what we have at Wilder. Um, but, you know, d things don't always go the way that you uh, plan. And whenever they were prepping her for the C-section, they gave her uh, an antibiotic shot. Um, that's a, uh, a standard thing that you get when you have uh, a C-section or a surgery like that. It's to help make sure you don't get infected um, from the surgery. And uh, so they gave her the shot and then they started cutting her wide open for the C-section. And in the middle of that, she had, uh, she went into anaphylactic shock because she had a, um, a severe allergic reaction to the shot they gave her. Um, they didn't know that she was allergic to it. My wife didn't know that she had uh, an allergy to that. And uh, we found out the hard way because she was literally in the middle of being cut open for the surgery when she went into anaphylactic shock. So... <laughs> um, they had to continue the C-section because they'd already started, um, but then also try to reverse that, like give her something that would reverse that um, allergic reaction and pull her back out of anaphylactic shock. She was already hooked up to a, a, a breathing tube in the middle of all this, and she couldn't breathe even with a breathing tube because of the allergic reaction. So it was a whole ordeal. And I'm just standing there holding her hand, just wondering what in the freaking heck is going on. Um, but they managed to reverse that and get her to where she was stable. They were able to have the baby. Um, but it was a different experience than when we had our son. When we had our son, we got to immediately put the son, I got to cut the umbilical cord and we got to put our son straight on my wife's chest and we were able to just have that um, that bond immediately. But we didn't have that with Elena. They took her away immediately uh, and put her into NICU where she stayed for the next 17 days. And that was tough. So we spent about three weeks at the hospital in NICU. My wife had to be in the hospital for a while until she got over her anaphylactic shock and the allergic reaction and the things that came from that as well as her preeclampsia. She saw had high blood pressure. So she had to stay at the hospital for a while. Um, and then when she finally got checked out, we had to keep going back and forth to the hospital every day, spending every day at the hospital for almost three weeks. Because our baby, when she was born, she was only three pounds, 15 ounces, which is really small. And it's common for babies to lose weight when they're born. And uh, she did lose weight. 
Um, and so she dropped to three pounds, 10 ounces within the first day or two, um, which again is normal, except for she wasn't very big to begin with. So she didn't really have a lot of weight to lose. So when she went from 315 to 310, um, I mean, that's really small. So we had to stay at the hospital until she could show that she could gain and sustain weight. She had to spend the first week or so on a breathing, breathing machine. And she had to eat out of a feeding tube for the first couple weeks and until they finally removed that from her. And she had to show that she could take food from her mouth and be able to gain and sustain weight, that she could sustain her own body temperature, that she could breathe without a breathing machine. So we had all of these hoops and milestones we had to jump through before she could come home. Um, and so after 17 days in NICU, she finally came home and uh, she's been home for a little over a week now, about a week and a half. Um, so that is why I haven't been on the podcast. It's been a whirlwind. I have not worked in about a month, um, which has been tough. Uh, we have been basically um, living off of our savings and trying to book projects when I have a little bit of free time. I've been trying to book work and live off of contract deposits uh, for the for the foreseeable future because that's just the only way we've been able to um to sustain me being home. Um, I, I really have to be home to help my wife because our baby has to eat constantly because she has to gain weight. Um, she's finally crossed five pounds, so she weighs more than five pounds now because we've been feeding her nonstop. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of work. My wife, because she had a C-section, she can't pick up our son right now. So I've been home kind of helping take care of my son, helping my wife. And so it's just been a very interesting um, month. And so I... I am sorry that I haven't been on the podcast, but hopefully you all can understand. But I am happy um, that we are home and that our baby is gaining weight. Hopefully she can sustain that and um, continue to grow. And we won't have to go back to the hospital because I certainly don't want to go back to NICU. <laughs> I've had, my wife and I have had our, uh, our uh, enough of, our, of a NICU experience for, for a while. <laughs> so anyway, that's, uh, that's where I've been and why I haven't been on the podcast. That being said, I would like to talk about an interesting piece of kit that I recently acquired. I felt like this would make a good podcast topic, and um, I want to talk about why I picked this up and what it is and, and what it's going to do for me. And so I, I want to start by um, diving into a little bit about the photography I do and um, the photography I don't do and, and why I picked this camera up. And that camera is the Fujifilm. Uh, X100V. But let's start let's start from a, a more broad perspective. So I I shoot video primarily for a living. However, photography does make up a portion of my business. You know, most of my work is commercial, corporate, um, do a lot of um, a lot of short films and doc pro mini doc projects and uh, a lot of brand anthems, shoot a lot of events, event coverage, live streams, things like that. Like that's the bulk of my work. And the photography I do is typically going to be uh, business related, whether it's marketing a hunting outfit or a fly fishing outfit or a fly shop or marketing um, a, a, a corporate business. Um, I, I do a lot of photography for different like AEC firms, which is like architectural engineering construction. Um, so basically the photography I do, it, it kind of coincides or goes along with the type of video projects I do. And um, for my photo work, because I do 
commercial corporate photo work, but I also shoot wildlife photography because I do photography for, like I said, hunting outfits, fly shops, things like that. I do a, a, a lot of large print work. Like I'm getting ready to shoot a hospital um, in a couple weeks. It's one of my first projects I'll be you know, finally going back to where um, a brand new hospital just got built and I'm going to the hospital the day before it opens, before the very first patient checks in. It's a huge hospital in North, North, just North of Austin. And I'm going to be doing all of the advertising photography for it. And so um, those are going to be like big prints. So I do a lot of large print photography, high resolution photography, but I also shoot action photography, like the fly fishing, the hunting outfit stuff. Those things are all action based where you're photographing wildlife, you're photographing action and capturing moments as they happen. Um, and so those, those different types of photography require a specific camera, which for me is the Sony a one. I've got two a ones. I use them some for video work as well. Cause they're great video cameras. Um, I have an FX six and FX three that are my primary video cameras, but I use the A1s for video as well. Um, they shoot amazing video, um, but they're world-class stills cameras and they service all the types of photography I do from shooting events to shooting large prints to shooting wildlife in action. They can do it all because they're 50 megapixel stills cameras. So you get the high resolution side covered, but they shoot 30 frames per second. So you get the sports and action and wildlife covered. Um, they have a crop mode that's 21 megapixels. So you can go to crop mode and still get a 21 megapixel image, which is great for wildlife. If you want to go ahead and crop in camera. Um, and then they're great in low light and they have a huge dynamic range. So they're phenomenal photo cameras for things like capturing events and things where lighting is might be something that's out of your control. Overall, the A1s are some of the best photo cameras on the market and they're expensive. Uh, they're $6,500 just for the body. Uh, and, and I love mine and I use them every day. And the reason why I have two is because I use, um, one usually with like a longer lens and one with a shorter lens. And I like having two matching cameras when I do photography because I want all the buttons and the custom options and everything to be the same on both. And I want the image quality to be the same on both. So whether I'm grabbing the long, the camera with the long lens or the camera with a short or wide lens or the medium lens, um, I want my hands to go to the same spot, my fingers to go to the same spot, the controls to be in the same spot and the image, image quality, the autofocus, I want everything to be the same on both. So whether I'm grabbing the, the camera with the long lens or I'm setting it down and quickly grabbing the other camera, I want I want everything to be the same so that muscle memory can be developed. And that way I can shoot fast and shoot consistently. And having two A1s has been uh, remarkable for that. And I also, like when I, I, I talked about doing marketing for hunting outfits, um, I love these cameras because they're great hybrids. I talked about their their video capabilities being really good. I mean, you got 8K, 10-bit 422, um, 4K 120 at 10-bit 422. Um, you got 4K 60 crop mode. You've got all kinds of options there. Um, and I like to, um, I like to run them when I'm filming, uh, hunting outfits for marketing content, because rather than drag out my FX six and FX three, which are primarily video cameras, I can bring the a ones and shoot uh, video with them, but then switch over to stills mode and capture stills. Now you have to take your NDs off or use flip cap flip style NDs and things like that. So you can shoot fast, but I do that and a lot, they allow me to work quickly when I need a hybrid camera. So they're just amazing cameras. I really, really like them, but here's what I don't do with them. I don't bring them with me for my personal stuff. Personal stuff, meaning this, I love to fly fish. Anyone who knows me knows I love to fly fish. In fact, even since I've been uh, home 
during this whole craziness that's happened with Elena being born, or Ellie, we call her Ellie, even through all of that, um, while I've been home in the evenings from the hospital, I have been building fly rods. I've built two fly rods since all this has happened. I've never built a fly rod before, but I love fly fishing. So I had ordered uh, a while back before all this happened, I had ordered from New Zealand parts to build two fly rods and they came in and I had been putting it off. But ever since I've been home, I've been taking the evenings to start building them. And so I love fly fishing. I love, I love fly tying. I loved building those rods. Um, those are things I love to do that I would love to shoot photos of. Um, same thing with, um, you know, actually going out and fishing, going on fishing trips. Um, uh, I do a lot of kayak fishing trips where I get dropped off um, by a shuttle upstream by like five or six miles. And I'll spend like a 12 hour day on the water floating downstream in the beautiful hill country in the middle of nowhere, fishing by myself, seeing all kinds of amazing things. So those are things I love to do. I love to hunt, um, deer hunt, waterfowl hunt. I love to go hiking and camping with my family. Um, I love to take my family to the beach, to the mountains, um, I love traveling with them. So those are all things I like to do in my everyday life, things that are not work-related, things that I do for my own enjoyment. But I don't bring my A1s with me when I do those things. And the reason why I don't is because they're not like big and heavy cameras in, in the grand scheme of things. From a work perspective, they're reasonably sized mirrorless cameras with reasonably sized full-frame glass. But from a personal perspective, when I'm out on the river fly fishing and I'm there for fun, I'm there for my own personal enjoyment, I'm not there for work, I'm there for me, I don't want to bring a full-frame camera and a bunch of full-frame lenses. And I used to, but I haven't in a long time because I just don't enjoy bringing that stuff with me on the water. I'm not there to work, I'm there to have fun. Same thing when I go deer hunting. I used to pack a full-frame camera and a couple lenses in my deer hunting bags, but I don't do that anymore because... I don't want to lug that with me when I'm going out. I'm going out to have fun and to, to do my own thing. I'm, I'm not there for photography. Photography is a, it is a secondary thing. It, if I have a camera on me when I'm fishing, hunting, camping, hiking, spending time with family, traveling, etc., I'm not there to shoot photos. If a camera's with me, it's only there in case there's a special moment I might want to get a picture of. But I don't want to have to always drag my full frame cameras and glass with me and have it on me all the time, just in case there might be a moment I want to take a picture of. If I'm there for photography, if it's a work-related thing, yeah. And sometimes for fly fishing, I am there for work-related stuff. I might be on a guided trip, and I might be doing uh, photography for the the guided trip. You know, the the fly shop that's taking me on the trip, and so maybe. Maybe I will want to bring, uh, you know, a camera and some lenses because that is part of the reason I'm there. But if I'm there for me, if I'm there for me to have fun, then photography is not, it is not a priority. It is a secondary thing. And so for me, I've found over the last several years that I just don't bring my mirrorless cameras with me anymore because I don't want to deal with it. But the, the sad part about that is I found myself in many different moments of time where I kind of did did wish I did have a camera. For example, um, earlier this year, toward the beginning of the year, um, there was a day I went out on the river on the lower Guadalupe River here in town, which is the southernmost tailwater for trout in the United States. Um, it's the only place in Texas that you can fish for trout year round. It just happens to be right here in the town I live in. And so I was on the lower Guadalupe with my fly rod and it was cold out, freaking cold morning, crisp, cool, 
steam coming off the water there and there and i was just in this part of the river where there's cliffs everywhere and there was this fog creeping in in the morning so you got steam coming off the water fog creeping in through the cliffs just beautiful morning and the light starts to sunrise starts to happen and the light hits that fog and that steam on the water and it just lights it golden it's so pretty and i'm sitting out there in this beautiful moment and i've got this monster trout on the other end of my four weight that i'm fighting and i'm like man what a moment for a photograph but all i had was my iphone because i didn't want to drag my camera with me because that to take to take an a1 even if i just took one lens to take an a1 and a lens even if it's a small prime lens it still would require me to have to carry a backpack and i didn't want to have a backpack on me i just wanted to i just wanted to be out there in my waders with a chest pack and a fly rod you know because i'm there for fun and i can't fit a camera like that into my chest pack so i didn't bring it all i had was my iphone and so in that moment when I would have loved to have captured a high quality image of that moment, all I had was my phone. And I did take some pictures on my phone and they turned out all right, but they're nothing I would post online. You know, they were okay, but they weren't up to what I would have liked to have had quality wise. Another example is two years ago, um, my wife and I went with uh, her family to Tennessee on a trip and we rented a cabin in the mountains. My wife was pregnant with Wilder at the time. It was a couple months before he was born. And so we were in this cabin in the Smoky Mountains, this beautiful place. And we went and did some touristy stuff, you know, went, went toward the crime museum and a few other things while we were uh, in this part of Tennessee. But one of the things we did is I brought some fly fishing gear and I uh, convinced my in-laws to drop me off in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park one day at sunrise. And I, they dropped me off and left me there. And I was there for the entire day by myself. And I had a small bag and a four weight fly rod and, um, a GPS. And that was it. Um, there's no cell phone service. So it was just me and my, I have an in reach, which allows you to text, uh, using Bluetooth to your phone. Um, and then also, you know, it's a, it's a GPS device. So I had this satellite texting slash GPS device, my fly rod, some water, a couple snacks, and uh, and that was pretty much it. And I just hiked through the Great Smoky Mountain National Park by myself using my GPS to kind of see where I was and keep track of time and, and location. And I just hiked through the park and fished and caught wild trout. What an amazing day. Uh, but all I had was my phone. And I got some pictures from that day, but I mean, they're phone pictures. And like, let's be honest, like cell phones have come a long way. But cell phones are not up to the standard of what a professional quality large sensor camera can do. And they probably never will be because, you know, yeah, phones have this voodoo magic they can do now where they can create um, fake bokeh, you know, to give you a, a artificial shallow depth of field look. And yeah, they have higher resolution sensors now, but they're never going to have a large sensor and they're never going to have interchangeable lenses, probably. And so the chances of an of an iPhone, for example, I have an iPhone. The chances of my iPhone ever of an iPhone ever meeting meeting the quality of a large sensor interchangeable lens camera is slim to none because they're they're small. It's a phone. If it's ever going to be a large sensor interchangeable lens quality picture taking cell phone, it would be massive, and that's not going to happen. So phones, even though they've gotten so much better and they use artificial intelligence and things to make the images stand out more, they're still a far cry away from being a professional camera. 
And so while I took pictures while I was on that trip in the Great Smoky Mountain National Forest or National Park, and it was an amazing day, while and while I have pictures of it, the pictures are nothing I would print and put on a wall or that I would post on my Instagram. And, you know, I, I just, I find myself from time to time in situations like that where I would love to have a camera, but at the same time, I'm not going to drag my gear with me because I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not there for work. I'm there for pleasure. I'm there for fun. And that's another thing too, is the A1s, as much as I love them, they're expensive. They're $6,500 cameras just for the body. And you know, you, you start calculating the CF express type A cards that you put in the, you know, they take dual card slot, they have dual card slots. And if you want to maximize the performance of the camera and really maximize, you know, the ability to shoot 50 megapixel images at 30 frames per second, for example, then you really want to run CF Express Type A cards. And so those are expensive cards. And I've got two of them, you know, in the body at this at all times. So you got to calculate those prices. You know, I think I paid $400 for each of those cards. And I've got a bunch of cards. But let's just say I have the camera and two cards, one in each card slot. That's still another $800. So you got a $6,500 body with two $400 memory cards. So that puts us at like, what? 7300 bucks. And then if you add a lens on top of that, you know, you'd be pushing $10,000 in a camera body. Now look, if for for work, that's fine. I don't care. I take way more expensive gear than that with me out for work. But if I'm hiking through the Smoky Mountain National Park by myself fishing for fun, I don't want to drag that camera out on the water with me because one, out of the size and weight, and two, I'm there for fun, not for work. I don't want to take this expensive piece of equipment out of the water that could get destroyed, you know? And yes, I have business insurance, but I'd still be out of the camera if something happened to it until insurance could get filed and I get the money and go and buy another one. And so I don't I don't want to run that kind of a risk because I'm not there for work. I'm there for pleasure. And so I just find myself not taking a camera with me, but there are so many great moments that I wish I had it on me. And so finding out how do you find this middle ground, like trying to figure that out is kind of a place I've been for the last couple of years. And so I've kind of known for a while that I've been wanting to buy a compact camera, something that I would always have on me. And my thought was I would use this camera when I go hunting, when I go fishing, when I go camping, hiking with my family, when we travel, it would just be a camera that would always be on me. And even when I'm here at the office, I'd keep it in my briefcase in a pocket, something that I could pull out and shoot pictures of a fly rod I just built or take pictures of a new piece of equipment I just bought for the business that I want to post on the Filming with Josh Facebook page or maybe use it um, when I'm out uh, uh, working at a coffee shop on my laptop and there's a really cool you know, moment in the coffee shop where maybe they bring me this really cool looking coffee mug and I'm sitting there working on a project and maybe I want a picture of that. Or maybe I want a picture of behind the scenes of what I'm working on for a project, uh, a video project. Maybe I want to take a BTS pic and post that on the Filming with Josh page, which right now I just use my cell phone to do that. So I've been kind of wanting to have a compact camera, something that I always have on me for those moments when you want to take a nice picture, something better than what your phone can take, but you still don't want to drag your expensive and bigger, heavier full-frame cameras uh, along just to have a camera for. And so that's kind of been uh, something I've had in mind for a while. And one of the things that kind of pushed me over the edge of wanting to do this was um, being in the hospital with 
Ellie because um, she's in the NICU and I would have loved to have taken some pictures and things of her and as we've kind of gone throughout this whole process of her being born and being in the hospital and as she's kind of gone through the process of losing her feeding tube, losing her oxygen mask, like capturing that journey. But at the same time, I'm not going to drag a bunch of camera equipment with me to the NICU. And so that's kind of what started me wanting to finally go ahead and move forward with the compact camera. I'm like, I just want a camera that's with me so I can capture these everyday moments in life, but do it in a way that my phone never could. After all, I shoot for a living. So why shouldn't I try to capture those moments with a nice quality camera rather than my phone. And so I started the hunt, the search for what that compact camera was going to be. And to be honest, there are quite a few options out there. I mean, there's different ways that you can approach it. You can buy a small, thin profile camera, like a micro four thirds camera and buy a small lens to mount to it. Like that's an option. Um, there are, um, compact point-and-shoot cameras that are options that are really tiny. And then there are some more professional-style compact cameras that have fixed lenses built into them. And that's actually kind of what interested me the most because there are a few options out there for cameras that you can buy that are large sensor point-and-shoot cameras with fixed prime lenses. And the idea of that really appealed to me. And so the ones I looked at were the Ryko I think it's like the G3 or GR3. There's a, a 3 and then a 3X version. Those are really small, pocketable um, point-and-shoot cameras that don't have viewfinders. They just have an LCD screen. But they have an APS-C size sensor uh, and a fixed prime lens. The non-X version of this Ryko camera has a uh, 28mm f2.8 prime lens. And the X version has a 40mm f2.8 prime lens. So you could pick which one you wanted. Do you want a fixed 40 mil lens or a fixed 28 mil lens? And, you know, and, and then just buy that camera and you have this really small, tiny, pocketable point and shoot camera. But even though it's a point and shoot, it's on an APS-C size sensor and shoots really nice quality images with a nice fixed prime lens. And I, I looked at those, but I, I didn't like the idea that they didn't have a viewfinder. And also I felt that the lenses were a little slow. Uh, F2.8 is reasonably fast for like a zoom lens, but for a prime lens, it's kind of on the slow side of things. So I, I kind of, I looked at those cameras. I thought they were cool. They were tiny. They were affordable. Um, but they just didn't interest me because I, I wanted a viewfinder and I wanted a prime lens that was a little faster. So I looked at them. They're a little over a thousand bucks for, um, depending on which one you got there. I think they're the same price, whether you get the 28 mil version or the 40 mil version. Um, but I looked at, I looked at them, but was like, yeah, you know, they look cool, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna keep looking. So I kept looking. Um, another option I looked at was the Sony RX One R2, and yes, that's the name. It's a stupid name. It is the RX One R2, dumbest camera name ever. <laughs> but um, that was a camera that really interested me because it is a tiny. I think it's. I think I read where it's the smallest full frame camera on the market. It's teeny tiny camera, but it's got the A7R2 slash R3 sensor in it. The R2 and the R3 by Sony have the same sensor. And it has that sensor inside this tiny little point and shoot camera. And the front of it has a fixed 35 millimeter F2 Zeiss prime lens. And everywhere I read, I had read that the F2 Zeiss prime lens that was built into this camera 
uh, was like a world-class lens. And the images I saw online definitely backed that up. I mean, dang, what a lens, incredible lens. And so you, again, this is a point and shoot fixed prime lens camera. So you can't change lenses on these cameras, right? So this is a fixed lens, but 35 millimeter is like one of my favorite focal lengths. And if you told me that you could only have one focal length on a point and shoot camera, compact camera, 35 would probably be my choice. 50 would be a little narrow, um, you know, for, for moments where you want to capture more of the scene. Uh, but when you start getting like to 24 mil or wider, it, it's almost too wide. If you want to shoot like pictures of people or of a fish you caught, you know, it can, it can almost be too wide. So 35 is like the sweet spot. Um, 28 mil is not bad either. That would be my second choice, but 35 would be my number one choice. And so I really looked seriously at this camera because it's a fixed 35 f2 prime lens that's made by Zeiss on a compact camera that's got the a7r2 slash r3 sensor and so you got 42 megapixel full frame images with a beautiful fast prime lens dude that sounds amazing and i had the a7r2 for several years before upgrading to the a7r3 this is before my a my ones and i so i've i've been working with that sensor for like five years because of the R2 and the R3 I had. In fact, my wife still shoots her photography on an 87 R3. So I'm very used to that sensor. I know that sensor like the back of my hand. So I know what to expect. I know what the low light performance will be like. I know what the dynamic range will be like. And it's an older sensor, so it's got older colors, Sony's older color science, but I'm used to it. I know, I know how to handle those files. So I was very intrigued by that camera. Uh, but what kept pushing me away from that camera was the age and the price. That camera came out in 2015, so it's eight years old now. And when it came out, it retailed at $3,300. Here we are, eight years later, and it still retails at $3,300, which I think is insane. That camera is not worth $3,300 today. I was really intrigued by it, but there's no way I would pay $3,300 for that camera because Yes, it's got a beautiful lens. Yes, it's the smallest, from what I read, the smallest full-frame compact camera on the market. And yes, it's got a great sensor, but that sensor is old now. And the camera technology is eight years old. The autofocus is old. The, um, the, the features in the camera, like it doesn't even shoot 4K. And I'm not buying these cameras for video, but you get the point. Like this is old tech. And I get cameras like retaining some value, but the fact that after eight years, the price hasn't changed at all, doesn't make sense to me. And it's got a really bad battery life and no weather sealing. And so the bad battery life with no weather sealing and the fact that it's got eight-year-old technology and still retails at $3,300 like it did eight years ago, that just seemed like an insane ask to me. So I did not buy that camera. And I did look online, like on eBay, there were some sellers that had like mint condition versions with low um, shutter counts for around the $2,000, $2,100, dollars mark. But still, I just, it seems like a lot of money for such an old camera. Um, that's not like a Leica or something like that. Like I, I just, I, I don't understand why they're still so that it, still so expensive. I was really intrigued, but I just couldn't justify it. So I kept looking. The next cameras I looked at were Leicas, the Leica Q, Q2, uh, and Q3. 
Those are very, very interesting cameras. Leica is a wonderful brand and they make incredible cameras. They are no doubt expensive though. And that was kind of what led me not to get a Leica. The Leica G, G2 and G3 are fixed prime lens compact cameras, but they're the biggest of the compact cameras I looked at. Um, they're full frame cameras with beautiful 28 millimeter um, F1.7 uh, Leica prime lenses. Um, but the price is just a lot. Like if you buy a Q3, which is the most current model, it's a, it's like a 40 something megapixel camera. Um, I'm looking that up right now. I, I want to make sure we go to B and H. I want to make sure I tell you this correctly. Like, uh, I don't like spreading false information. So the Q3 has a 60 megapixel sensor, Let's see what the Leica Q2 had. The Q2 had, which is the previous version, had a 47.3 megapixel sensor. And then the Q, I think, had like a 20. Let me see what it had. The Leica Q had a 24.2 megapixel sensor. So they've gone up in resolution with every generation. So you can get the newer version, the 60 megapixel version, for six thousand dollars you can get the q2 new for a little less than that and that's a 47 um, point something or another 47.3 megapixel sensor and you can get that for about 5800 new if you buy that if you buy the q2 used you can get it for anywhere from 4500 to five thousand dollars um but still a lot of money or you can get the like q the original version which is pretty old but um still a beautiful camera and that's the 20, um, the 20, what does it say here? That is the 24.2 megapixel version uh, of this camera. And that one you can buy used today for uh, around thirty-five dollars to $4,000, depending on the condition. Um, so those are the prices and the generations of Leica Qs I looked at. All of them have a 28 millimeter f1.7 Leica prime lens mounted to the front and that prime lens is beautiful um, but these cameras are the biggest of the compact cameras I looked at and they're definitely the most expensive and I love the idea of owning a Leica I love Leica cameras I think their glass is amazing I think their sensors are great the colors are great but if I'm being honest I just can't justify spending that kind of money on a point and shoot camera um, and again, they're the biggest of the compact cameras I looked at. So for me, as much as I was interested in the Leicas, they kind of defeated the point. Like the whole purpose of me buying a camera like this is to have something small and portable that I can throw in a briefcase or put in a diaper bag if I'm going to the park with the kids so I can pull it out of the diaper bag and shoot some pictures, you know? And so for me, keeping the compact size was a priority. And so as much as I would love to own a Leica, I just couldn't justify the price. And again, the size was just bigger than what I was looking for. So that leads us to the camera that is the focal point of today's podcast, which is the Fujifilm X100V. If you know anything about Fujifilm cameras and the X100V model, you know that this camera has been backordered for three straight years. It came out in 2020, and it has been backordered ever since. It has been backordered worse than the Sony FX6 was. You cannot find this camera anywhere, especially at the retail price. If you're going to buy this camera new, like I did, you're going to be paying for 
above retail. If you buy it used, you're going to still be paying above retail. A retail price for this camera is $1,400, and you're not going to find it for $1,400 anywhere, not new and not used. It is insane. I've never seen a camera go up in price like this camera has. It is nuts. Cameras, when you buy them, are like cars. The minute you buy it, they go down in value, but not this camera. It has gone up in value, and that is because you can't find it anywhere. People will pay literally double the price to get this camera today. It's crazy. I did some deep, 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 deep diving and searching, and I found a brand new one for above asking, but I wanted it, so I bought it. And it is an awesome, awesome, awesome little camera. Let me tell you about it. Of all the compact cameras I looked at, it's the smallest. Technically, the Sony RX1R2 is um, shorter and not as wide, but it's thicker. This camera is the thinnest of all of them that I've looked at, which I really liked because being thin meant when I want to put it in the front pocket of my briefcase, it slides right in. Or if I want to put it in a pocket on my um, hunting backpack, it would fit right in. Being thin means I can actually fit this camera into my fish pond chest pack when I go fly fishing. That is crazy. And so it is crazy thin, yet it has an APS-C sensor that's 26 megapixels. So you get a nice large sensor. It's not full frame, but that's okay. Um, it's the next best thing. So you got a 26 megapixel APS-C sensor with great low light performance and great dynamic range. And the lens, which is super thin, is a 35 millimeter F2. So faster than that Ryko I talked about earlier. This camera is amazing. And the image quality is fantastic out of this camera. There are two ways that you can shoot it. One is obviously raw, and the other is JPEG with film emulations, or simulations, film sims is what people call them. And the idea is that you can dial in your own film recipe, which is essentially... They, this Fujifilm, and this isn't the only camera that has this, other Fujifilm cameras have this, but basically what you can do is you can pick a film stock look on the camera. It comes with a bunch of film stocks. You pick the one that you like, and that's what your JPEG images will look like. And you can shoot, like I shoot RAW plus JPEG on this camera, so I still get the RAW file, but the JPEGs have a film stock look on it, and it comes preloaded with different film stocks. And like I have mine preset to a, a, a button or a wheel on the camera, and so I can spin this wheel, and as I spin it, it, sh it, it flickers through the different film stocks. So if I want to take a picture of... A, a pretty sunrise, but I want to use a film stock and use a JPEG photo, I can scroll a wheel and look at the different film stocks, pick one that I like for the um, lighting condition for the situation, one that I think looks really cool, and pick it and then shoot the photo. And I'll have the raw photo, but I'll also have a JPEG that has the film stock applied. And it looks really pretty. And here's the other thing. You can pick the film stock after the fact. So if you change your mind and you're like, ah, I kind of wish I would have used a different film stock, you can go in, pull up the picture in camera, like on the playback button, and then change the film stock, and it just generates from the raw file a new image with the different film stock that you pick. And then where the recipes come into play is people online take these film stocks because you get all kinds of settings inside the camera. I, I think of these settings kind of like the Sony paint 
menus, if you used to work with the Sony FS7, like I used to have, or if you work with the FX9 today, you know about paint menus. Paint menus allow you to kind of go in and tweak a million different settings to get different looks. Well, in the Fujifilm cameras, you can take these film stocks and you can change all these different settings, kind of like you can on the Sony paint menus on the Sony uh, FX9, FS7. And as you dial in these settings, you can create your own what people call recipe. And the recipe is just your own combinations of combination of settings where you're tweaking a film stock you like to make it even more unique. And if you go online, there are people online that post different um, recipes that they come up with. And you can, it's kind of like a, a preset for Lightroom, right? Except for you're doing it in camera when you shoot the image rather than doing it in Lightroom. So you can look at different you know, recipes that people have come up with. And if you see one you really like, you can um, get their recipe and dial it into your camera. And now I haven't done all that because I kind of think the ones that the camera comes loaded with look fine. And to be honest, I still am going to edit the raw images most of the time. But if you're out and about and you're wanting to shoot and upload an image instantly and you don't really want to edit it, you can just pick a film stock or even put in your own recipe that you found online that you like and shoot raw plus JPEG or shoot, just shoot the JPEG if you want and just take that, drop it to your phone via the Fujifilm app and upload it to Instagram instantly. And you don't have to edit the photos if you don't want to because they look fantastic. As long as you nail your exposure and you're happy with your exposure and the film stock you picked, you can shoot and upload the JPEG straight to online without having to do any post-processing. Now, to be honest, again, I shoot, since I bought this camera, I've had it for several days now and I've been playing with it for the last week. And to be honest, I still would shoot to raw most of the time just because it's my personal style. I like editing raw files, but I definitely see the appeal of having these film stocks or film recipes because I think it's really cool if you're out and about and you're on vacation and you want to shoot some pictures of your family, maybe you're on a camping trip and you want to shoot some pictures of your family and post them online, but you don't want to do any editing. It's really cool that you can pick up a, a, a recipe or a film stock that you like in camera and shoot the files, shoot to that look and post them online. Like I love the idea of that. Uh, and then if you do raw plus JPEG, again, you keep the raw files and you can edit those to, to taste in Lightroom later. So I, it's really cool. It's an interesting way of working. And this isn't the only camera that has it. Other Fuji film cameras uh, have this capability. But to have that in a small, portable, compact camera is really, really cool. I love the fact, too, that the lens is really well designed. On the previous versions of this camera, the lenses were not the strong point. Like they, they were okay, but they were a little softer. But in the X100V, this model has a new and improved lens. So this 35 millimeter F2 lens on the V, the newest version that make sure it's the X100V, not the previous versions. Um, the newer one, the one that I got, it has an incredible lens. It's not quite, I wouldn't say it's quite the same quality as, as the Zeiss lens that's on the RX100 R2 or the Leica lenses that are on the Leica Q cameras, but it's still really good. Definitely, definitely good enough to be out shooting photos and posting them online. I, I think the lens is quite, quite good. And it has nice flares, which is important to me. I don't like lenses with ugly flares. This does not have ugly flares. It has pretty flares. Subtle, but pretty flares, which is how I like them. So you have a nice camera with a good dynamic range, a large APS-C size sensor, 26 megapixels, which is plenty for taking pictures and printing them, putting them online, etc. And you have great raw files and the ability to dial in your own film stocks or recipes for straight to JPEG workflow if you wanted to shoot pictures and put them online. 
Other great things about this camera are the rangefinder body style. It is, if you look this camera up again, it's the X100 Phi by by uh, Fujifilm. If you look that camera up, you'll see what I'm talking about. Now, rangefinder cameras are an older style of camera that was really popular back in the film photography days. And Leica, for example, still makes rangefinder style cameras. I have some older model rangefinder cameras that I'm are not in use. They're collector's items in my office that I'm getting ready to put on some shelves I'm getting ready to build. And um, some of them were from my father-in-law and his father. And one of them was from my grandfather. These are older rangefinder style cameras. My grandfather took his to Korea during the Korean War, shot all kinds of photos. And my father-in-law took his um, when he was in the military as well and shot a lot of photos. So these are older rangefinder style cameras that have been passed down to me from my uh, grandfather and my father-in-law. And I'm going to put them on the shelves in my office as collector's items. They're really cool. Well, the Fujifilm X100V is a modern day digital camera, but it's built with a rangefinder style look and feel, which is really awesome. If you look at like the top dials, for example, it's got a dedicated top dial with predetermined shutter speeds. And so you can spin that wheel to pick a predetermined shutter speed. Now, if you want to fine tune your shutter, there's also a dedicated shutter wheel on the back of the camera. So if you want, like instead of, if like one of the options is one over 60, but if you want one over 50, you can, you can dial that in. But it's really cool just to have these preset shutter speeds on the top dial of the camera. And so you just spin the wheel, pick your shutter, and you're good. And if you pull up on the dial, it reveals a ISO button with predetermined ISOs. And you can see the numer numerical options on the wheels. And so you just spin the ISO until you find the ISO you value you want. And so it's really cool. If you look at the pictures, you'll understand more of what I'm talking about. But it's just this classic rangefinder look and feel that this camera has. And that's part of why it's so thin too, like such a thin, small, compact camera with a rangefinder look and feel is exactly what I was going for. It's got this timeless look to it. It's really cool. It also has a built-in flash, which is great if I'm out with the kids and I want to shoot a picture of them, or maybe I'm deer hunting and I, I shot a deer and I recovered it at night and I want to get a picture of it, but I don't want to carry again my full frame cameras and my flash my flashes or any of my big lights, you know, again, I don't, I'm not going to carry all that stuff with me. I'm not going to carry a flash with me when I go deer hunting. But if I have this camera in a side pocket, cause it weighs nothing and is super small and thin, I can recover a deer at night and use the flash and take a picture of me at night with this deer I recovered. Or if I have a photo opportunity at sunrise, um, and I'm in Colorado with my family, but I want to fill flash on, on their faces. I have that built into the camera. So for a camera like this that I'm wanting to use for a lot of personal stuff, that's really cool. It also has a built-in four-stop ND filter. Now, it does not have IBIS, but it does have a four-stop ND, which is really useful. Now, this camera does shoot 4K video, but I didn't buy it for the 4K, and the 4K is only 8-bit internal. Externally, you can do 10-bit, but I didn't buy this for video. I bought it for photography. And so the built-in four-stop ND, where it comes into play for me, is I can use that for long exposure photography. And I said earlier, I love to fly fish. So if I'm on a river and I want to get a long exposure shot of the river, and you know, you've seen that, those long exposure photography where the, 
the water looks really smooth, or maybe you shoot a waterfall and it has that smooth look, you can use that ND filter to help you achieve that long exposure photography during the middle of the day. And I found that Nisi, which is my favorite filter company for screw-on NDs, they actually make a filter kit for this camera. It's a little small kit that you can buy, has a small pouch, and in that pouch is this little bitty a rectangular filter holder. It's tiny, guys, like teeny tiny. And you screw it on the front of this camera, and then you can hold up to two rectangular filters. And this kit comes with a three-stop solid ND that you can combine with the internal filter for seven stops of ND. You also get a polarizer. So if you're shooting photos of like water or things and you want to cut glare, you got that. Great. Could be great for fly fishing photography. And it comes with a night or astro filter for cutting light pollution. If you're shooting a nightscape at night or like a an astro photo, uh, you're out camping, you want to shoot an astro photo of a town in the background, but the, you got light pollution. This, this filter helps you with that. And it also comes with a graduated ND, which I love grad filters, gives you an ND at the, uh, on, at the top for like clouds or sky and then the rest of the filter is clear so you can get a higher dynamic range when shooting landscapes. I use filters like that in my professional photography and professional time lapses um, using my big matte boxes but here you can get this filter kit from Nisi that's got those four filters plus the filter holder that allows you to stack up to two at a time and it all comes in this teeny tiny little pouch so you can carry that camera that Nisi filter pouch and a couple spare batteries and that's all you need. You don't even have to carry you don't even have to carry the filter kit like in my briefcase I just put the camera and two batteries in the briefcase that's it it's all I need for a day of photography and if I'm out with my briefcase and I'm going to town and have a meeting and I'm in Austin and there's a pretty sunrise in Austin and I want to capture a picture of that sunrise while I'm on my way to the meeting I can just pull over pull out the camera shoot a picture um, but if I'm going fishing I might throw that filter kit in my fly fishing bag or my um kayak back bag or something and you know i could pull it out and do some long exposure photography of the river i'm on and it's this tiny kit takes up no space which all is part of the idea of this right small compact camera no lenses your lens is built in your filters are in a tiny little kit you don't even have to bring the filters if you don't want to because it's got a built-in four-stop nd but if you did want to bring filters to be a little creative because you're going on a trip to montana throw it in your bag it takes up no space like that's the whole idea and i love that other things I love about this camera are that it's weather sealed. Um, you have to put a, a UV filter or clear filter on the front of the camera to make it weather sealed, but that's no big deal. Um, so if you want to take it and use it shooting photographs in the rain while you're out fishing or something, no problem. Just put that you just put a UV filter on the front and you're weather sealed. Uh, it also has a fantastic battery life and the batteries are small. And I didn't even buy a battery charger. It doesn't come with a battery charger, but I didn't buy one. I just plug the camera into a USB port. I keep USB cables and a USB C charger. It's USB C. I keep a USB cable and a USB C charger in my briefcase anyway because I use it to charge my iPad. So I just keep the camera in my briefcase, and if I want to charge the camera, I just plug it in, and that's awesome. Like I don't have to have an external battery pack or anything like that, battery charger, I just plug the camera into the wall and charge the camera's batteries internally. Um, you can do that on most cameras today, but the point is the idea is keeping everything compact and small. Small camera, small batteries, small filter kit. You don't even have, again, you don't even have to take the filter kit. If you don't want to, you can just have the, the, the camera and the batteries and a cable to charge it. It's all you need. And that's what I love about it. Other things are, it's got pretty good autofocus. It does have face detect and eye autofocus, but you got to know that this is a uh, um, it's still pretty new technology because it came out in 2020, but this isn't a Sony, right? This is not going to have A1 performance autofocus. So 
it did take a little getting used to because I come from the A1. So for me, when I bought the A1, um, you know, I, I got used to this insane autofocus speed that's dead quiet and crazy fast. This isn't going to be like that, but it's still good and certainly good enough for photography. Um, it shoots photos pretty quick. You can shoot photos really fast if you want to shoot any burst photos. It's got a nice burst photo speed. It only has one card slot, but I it can take up to a 512 gigabyte SD card. Um, I bet it could take bigger than that, but Fuji's official site says it's rated up to a 512, so I bought an Angelbird 512 gigabyte UHS-2 card. It only has a UHS-1 slot, but I did put a UHS-2 card in that slot because they're backwards compatible. Um, the reason why is so that when I dump the photos from the SD card to the computer, they'll dump faster because um, my computer takes UHS-2. So I put a 512 gigabyte UHS-2 card in the in the camera and I'll never have to bring any memory cards with me because at 26 megapixels on a 512 gigabyte UHS two card SD card, I'm going to be able to fit all the photos I need on a trip. Cause remember I didn't buy this camera to be my workhorse photo camera for a pro photo shoot where I plan to shoot tens of thousands of photos. I bought this to be a camera that comes with me everywhere I go. I might shoot five pictures in a day with it. So I'm never going to fill it up. I'll, if I'm on a trip for a week with my family and we're, in Tennessee, I'm not going to fill that card up. So it's plenty big enough. Just stick one card in the camera and you're good. Um, the Fujifilm app has just been redone recently, like a week or two ago, which is convenient for me because I just got the camera. The app is much improved now and really easy to dump photos from the camera to your phone if you just want to go straight to your phone, which is cool. Um, other things I like about the camera um, are the viewfinder. It's got an optical and electronic viewfinder. You know, a lot of people who grew up shooting DSLRs love an optical viewfinder. A lot of people who shoot with mirrorless love electronic viewfinders. Some people who shot DSLRs hate mirrorless viewfinders, and people who grew up shooting mirrorless don't like DSLR viewfinders that are optical. It's a, all a personal preference. But this camera has an optical viewfinder, but if you switch a button, it turns electronic. And if you switch another button, it gives you an optical viewfinder with an electronic window in the bottom right-hand corner. So you can have an optical viewfinder, an electronic viewfinder, or a hybrid of the two, depending on what your personal preference is. That is pretty freaking amazing. Really, really cool. I'm used to shooting on an electronic viewfinder where you see what you get. I like that. But the optical viewfinder is pretty cool, and I've been shooting with that recently just to try it out, and I like it. It feels kind of nostalgic, kind of cool, kind of connects you with the image because you're looking through a, a, a glass window rather than an electronic window. Um, but the fact that you have both is pretty amazing, and it's a little lever that you just switch with your index finger so you can switch between them in real time if you wanted. Um, so to have all of that, to have a, a viewfinder that's electronic or optical or both inside a camera, to have a flash in the camera, to have an ND built into the camera, to have weather sealing, a good battery life, decent autofocus, uh, to have all of those things, the film simulations, the great raw photos, the 26 megapixel large sensor, the 35 millimeter f2 prime lens, to have all of that in a very thin, compact body that is pretty affordable at $1,400. Again, you're not going to find it for $1,400 today. You're going to pay over retail, you used or new. Um, but still, it's just, for what it is, it's amazing. And that's why it's been sold out for so long. And if you look online, everybody and their brother talks about this camera. I mean, there's a YouTube influencer who just last night came out with a, a video on it. And, that, and think about it. There are people reviewing the camera today, three years later. How often does a camera get reviews 
three years after it comes out, but this camera is getting tons of reviews. It got, an, like I said, an influ real popular influencer. I think his name is Maddie or something like that. Just came out with a video on it yesterday. Um, I saw the F-stoppers just came out with a review on it three days ago. This camera's three years old and it's still getting reviews because it's so popular and so sold out everywhere. And now that I have one in my possession, I understand why. It's a lot of fun to work with. It's got a flip out tilt screen. It doesn't rotate, but it's a tilt screen. It's got everything you could ever need in a photo camera that you keep on you everywhere you go. If you're a woman, you could keep this in your purse. If you're like me and you have kids, you could toss it in a diaper bag. You could put it in your briefcase, your hiking backpack, your fishing bag, your hunting bag, your camping gear. You could throw it in your center console of your car. It doesn't matter. It's amazing. It's something that you can keep on you and just take with you everywhere you go. I even found a leather half case online on eBay. It's made overseas that I bought. I have it shipped it's getting shit to my house, but you wrap your camera in this half case. So it stays in this leather half case all the time, but there's a full fold over case that you button onto the half case so that you can have it completely covered. So you can toss it in a backpack or a diaper bag or center console or whatever. And you don't even have to worry about the camera getting scratched up. The leather will get scratched up, but that just gives the leather character. But when you're ready to shoot, you just pop, pop it off and you're ready to go. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool good way to just keep the camera protected. Um, whenever mine comes in, I'll post pictures of uh, my camera inside the leather half case so you can see what it looks like. It even says Fujifilm on the case, which is cool. It's a nice little touch. But when that case comes in, I'll post pictures in the Filming with Josh Facebook group so you can see what that looks like. But anyway, overall, this is the Fujifilm X100V. It is a really cool camera. I didn't really go into much of the video specs because I don't really feel the need to. I think it shoots like 4K 30 8-bit, 200 megabit per second video, which four or five years ago would have been fine. Everything's 10-bit today. You can do 10-bit externally, but again, that's not what you bought this camera for. You buy this camera to be primarily a photo camera that you take with you. You might shoot video of your kids or something on it, but you're not buying it really for video. You're buying it to be an amazing compact point-and-shoot camera with a large sensor, a fast lens, um, and the film simulations for straight to JPEG workflow if you don't really want to um, do any photo editing because you're traveling with your family and you just want to throw pictures online. I mean, this is the camera for that. But yet, you could use it for professional photography. I've seen people use these for wedding photography and the photos are amazing. Um, you can go to dpreview.com and look up their Fujifilm X100V review that came out several years ago. And you can access the photo gallery and actually download the RAW files and edit the RAW files in Lightroom. And you'll see how great the colors are. I've found that the files on this camera are really easy to work with and I can get pleasing results from the raw files almost faster than I can my professional Sony cameras. I love my A1 files, don't get me wrong, they're amazing, but these these files look great and I can get I can get really nice looking images with very very minimum work in Lightroom. Um, and again, you have the straight to JPEG film stock workflow if you don't even want to go to Lightroom. So overall, such a cool camera with a lot of options. I plan to use mine for BTS uh, pictures for um, posting in the Filming with Josh group of different um, different setups I have when I'm on different video projects. I plan to use it for shooting photos of my family. I plan to use it for fishing trips and hunting trips and backpacking trips, camp camping trips, vacations, traveling, all of that stuff. This is going to be my go everywhere, always have on me camera that you can pull out anytime at a moment's notice and capture high quality images, but without having to lug 
all the camera gear. And that has been, I think, a missing link in my uh, in my kit for a long time now. And guys, I shoot photo and video for a living. So it makes sense that I'd have a, a camera with me at all times. I just don't want to carry my big gear. And now I don't have to. So that is the Fujifilm X100V. If you've not heard of this camera, then you're living under a rock. If you have heard of it, then you probably know that it's been out of stock for a while. Go look it up. Check it out. It's an awesome little camera. I am excited to be posting photos of me using it. Um, PTS pictures, like I said, will be going in the Filming with Josh group on future projects, and those will come from this camera. So I'm really excited. Uh, so go check it out. It's the Fujifilm X100V. It is a uh, smaller, more compact version than any Leica you'll buy, and a lot newer than the um, Sony, and uh, uh, has more features than the Ricos. I think it's the best compact large sensor camera on the market today and for, for what it is. Uh, obviously, Leica is going to have it beat in certain areas, but for a compact camera, this is the uh, probably the best option on the market, and that's why it's sold out everywhere. So go check it out, and if you're interested, get on a wait list. Uh, you might be on that wait list for a while, but keep your eyes peeled. It's a camera worth buying. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. I have some more episodes coming out soon. I promise it won't be a month this time uh, between episodes. That was just a really rare circumstance. I uh, hope you guys understand. Please be praying for a little girl that she continues to gain weight. She looks great. She has no problems that we know of. She just needs to get bigger. So I'm going to be uh, feeding her with as much food as I can um, so she continues to gain weight. But uh, we'd love some prayer that she continues to grow and get healthy and stay healthy. Um, but thanks guys for understanding my lack of being on the podcast this past month. But Make sure to subscribe because we have more episodes coming out soon. We'll see you guys then. Take care. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today. Today.